Ah, you obviously know Kung Fu. Hi, I'm Don the Dragon Wilson, star of the Blood Fist series and the Martial Arts Kid. You're listening to Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> Four men find themselves maimed because of the revengeful wrath of a spiteful father and son. Determined to get their due justice, they train themselves up and enhance the senses left to them with nothing but revenge on their agenda. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and though I did recently visit New York Comic Con, we're not talking about Marvel's Avengers, we're talking about the Crippled Avengers. Crippled Avengers is a 1978 Shaw Brothers Kung Fu film directed by Chang Che and starring four members of the Venom Mob. In the U.S., it was released as Mortal Kombat before Midway stepped in and quashed that noise. It was also released under the title The Return of the Five Deadly Venoms, but this is in no way a sequel to that chang Chi classic. It was just marketing the film around the stars. Now, of course, it's not PC to say crippled anymore. We'd have to go with something like the Differently Abled Avengers, but that's not as dynamic, and I only ever knew this film as the Crippled Avengers, so suck it up, Buttercup. Anyway, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm a huge fan of the Venom Mob movies, and this is very high up on my list of must-watch films from this group of actors. The original film, The Five Deadly Venoms, has rightly been named to many top kung fu films lists, and usually you can find this one on there as well, depending on the size of the list. For me, this film has some absolutely breathtaking fight scenes that really showcase the skill of these actors who came up in the industry together and honed their craft in the Peking Opera School. Though this was also billed as a return of the Five Deadly Venoms, Wei Pei, who played the Snake Venom, didn't return with the troupe because, as a martial artist, he wasn't as skilled as the other guys and preferred to act in dramas. But everyone else in the Venom Mob does show up. You got Kuo Choi, Lu Feng, Sun Chen, Lo Meng, and even the hybrid Venom, played by Chang Sheng. Fight scene. Gotta love it when a film opens up right in the middle of a fight scene. In this case, we're with a group of guys storming the gates of the home of Tu Tin To. They're met by the guards who put up some defense, but these guys are very skilled and cut their way through the garrison and make their way inside. There they face a second level of guards, and again, they quickly rip through them, which begs the question, where the hell did Tu Tin To get this shabby security force anyway? Once in the home, the guys confront Tu Tin To's wife and son and take them hostage. Now, these guys have a major issue with Tu Tin To, which is not explained to us, but they really want to teach him a lesson. Kidnap and ransom, perhaps? Nah, too weak. Kill them? Nope. The leader of this troop specifically is not into killing women and children, so... Right, let's cut his wife's legs off and his son's arms off, right? A most reasonable compromise, don't you think? Unfortunately, the trauma of having her legs hacked off kills mom. Sonny Boy, however, stumbles backwards and fights off the tears just as dad arrives to see the carnage wrought upon his family. Tu Tin To, played with sneers aplenty by Chen Quan Tai, is understandably upset and explains his displeasure to his most unwelcome guests. Bastards, you're going to pay for this. You die here. I use the tiger strike to kill you all. Fight scene. These tiger strikes are most definitely no joke. The three guys who so easily rip their way through the lackluster security force have zero answers for Tu Tin To's tiger strikes. Tu Tin To bears down on them one at a time, and with just a few hits, he drops them all like bad habits, all while calling his shots. 
With his wife dead, Tutinto moves to his son who refused to beg for any mercy. Proud of his boy's resilience, Tutinto offers a solution for his missing limbs. When your arm's healed up, I'll get a blacksmith to make you iron hands. And then you practice until you're invincible. We fade cut to several years later where the son, Tu Chan, is sporting the latest model of iron hands that Pops promised him. All right, like I promised you, I got you iron hands. It took quite a while, but I think this pair is good. Right. So far I've tried seven pairs, but these are the best. They also shoot darts. All right, so try to visualize these cool black iron gauntlets that look like something Sauron would wear. And then picture them shooting darts. They shoot darts. Meanwhile, Dad impresses upon his son the importance of perfecting the tiger style that he used to kill the guys that maimed him. So we go through a short training sequence where Lu Feng shows off his kung fu skills as he works his way through the various tiger styles, demonstrating their raw power as each strike crushes through a thick bamboo stalk, leaving nothing but shreds. We also get to see another cool power of these go-go gadget kung fu arms as Tu Chan activates the fist extenders that shoot his hands out like little mini battering rams. And what better way to test out their effectiveness than by putting them through the paces against the sons of the very men who crippled him in the first place. See, dear old dad has captured the sons of the guys who killed his wife and offers them to Tu Chan to exact his revenge. And dad's careful to point out that Tu Chan shouldn't kill them, but instead cripple them the way that their fathers crippled him. Interestingly, at this point in the film, you might be thinking that Tutinto has some merit behind him because, after all, he's just getting revenge for what the fathers did to his family. Right now, Tu Chan's a sympathetic figure who has had to overcome a pretty significant obstacle to become a Tiger Kung Fu master, so you're kind of rooting for him to rise up to the challenge even if the sins of the fathers shouldn't really be visited upon the captured sons. So just put a pin in that empathy for a second. Fight scene. This is a blink and you'll miss it fight scene because one by one the sons rush Tu Chan and with a few moves, Tu Chan mercilessly debilitates them. The first two guys get their arms just ripped clean off, while the last representative, a set of twins, get their legs hacked away while Dad looks on proudly at what his boy has accomplished. Later, we join Dad as he's getting drunk alone, and in the wings, Tu Chan is watching and listening. Even crippled, he's a great deal better than most men. <coughs> a lot better! <laughs> Elsewhere, we meet a peddler, Chen, played by Kuo Choi, who's sitting down to a meal in a tea house when Tu Tinto and his entourage walk in. Now, remember all that empathy? Well, it seems that all that trauma turned Tu Tinto into a bitter jerk, and he took his boy with him. As they move to sit down, the patrons all hush up in deference, but one guy drops what he's holding when he notices Tu Chan's iron arms. An overly sensitive dad charges the guy with mocking his boy, so Tu Chan steps to him and slaps him around with his iron fists. Tu Tinto's enforcer, Mr. Wan, played by the always great Wang Longwei, grabs another patron and beats him down for good measure before throwing them down and finding their seats. As the group moves to occupy the upstairs of the tea house, a shirtless Lo Mang appears and witnesses the rough treatment, then defiantly says what everyone else is thinking. He hates the world because his wife was killed because his son was crippled. That's why he's mean to everybody. Goddamn tyrant! Tu Tinto and Tu Chan get agitated, but Mr. Wan convinces them to stand down because this blacksmith way is hardly worth the trouble. It's only when Chen the Peddler adds his criticisms to the mix that things start to get heated. <laughs> I think I like him. He doesn't let any big shots scare him. 
Tu Chan drops down from the upper level and stares down Chen, who gulps hard and starts to try to talk his way out of the situation. Your hands? I've no hands. You've no eyes. We're even. I have eyes. I... Before confused Chen can work out what Tu Chen is even talking about, Tu Chen lunges forward and plunges his sharp iron fingers right into Chen's eye sockets, presumably exploding his eyeballs and permanently blinding him. Then we quick cut to some time later as Lo Meng, who, if you remember, actually started this trouble, is outside his blacksmith shop, bragging loudly about how he wouldn't put up with the garbage that Tu Tin To was dishing out. As he's yakking, Mr. Wan shows up and invites him to a friendly drink with Tu Tin To. The headstrong and overconfident way accepts, despite having witnessed what Tu Chan did to the poor peddler. At Tu Tinto's place, Wei sits down as Tu Tinto calmly explains that he doesn't like being called out. He offers Wei a drink, but when Wei asks what's in it, Tu Tinto reveals that it's a drug to render him mute so he can't call out anyone else ever again. Never let it be said that Tu Tinto is not direct and to the point. Wei tries to escape, but he's held down by several guards as Mr. Wan grabs his mouth and starts pouring the drink down. Wei struggles, but eventually drinks it and slowly loses his voice as he keeps getting into Tinto's face. When he's completely mute, Wei scribbles a final curse at Tinto, which he doesn't receive very kindly. Right. You asked for it. I don't mind. From now on, you're deaf, too! With a devastating ear clap, Wei's eardrums are destroyed, and we watch a slow-motion sequence with zero sound as Wei stumbles around trying to get his bearings, and sees the group laughing at him but hearing nothing. He rushes out of there and back to his shop, where a crowd gathers to find out what happened to him. Unable to hear a thing, Wei slinks down against his door, a defeated man. Meanwhile, the now-blind peddler is being ousted from his hotel for fear of a return visit from Tu Tinto. Before he leaves, though, he asks to be pointed in the direction of the blacksmith. When he arrives there, Wei is again struggling with his deafness in another completely silent sequence where he's screaming and breaking things in the hopes that he hears anything at all. As he rushes out of his door in frustration, he mows down Chen and the two find a way to connect despite their handicaps. Elsewhere in town, Sun Chen, playing Mr. Hu, is getting fired from his job and has a really bad attitude about it. As he storms out, he accidentally bumps into Tu Chen, who immediately wants a fight. And Pops actually asks him to let this one go, but when Tu Chen refuses, Pops concedes. Gotta kill his feet. And I'll chop his feet off. No. Go ahead. Chop his legs off? For an accidental bump? Overreact much? Anyway, two soldiers rush forward and just chop Mr. Hu down at the knees, leaving him with two bloody stumps right there in the street for all to gawk at. Hey, do you like movies? Hey, do you like podcasts? If you do, then come on down and listen to the Home Video Hustle podcast, homie. Hustle, hustle. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Well, every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I pick a bunch of movies at random. Sometimes there's a theme to it, sometimes not. PJ picks the movie out, and guess what? We watch it on Friday. We talk about it for about maybe an hour, hour and a half, whatever we feel like doing. Might give you something good to watch, baby. Come on down every Friday. So come get your hustle on with Home Video Hustle. You can find the show on any podcatcher app, or you can come down to homevideohustle.poppin.com. All of them in one place for you. So you can go ahead and binge it like it's Netflix. We ain't the defenders. Yeah. But I like to think we a little bit better than that. <laughs> come out at your boys, man. Come chill with us. Peace. Peace. 
Now, with a bit of kung fu film magic time travel, we cut to sometime later as Chen, Wei, and Hu are hanging out at Wei's blacksmith shop. They're wallowing in self-pity, but Wei is confident that he can provide for the three of them while they recuperate. Unfortunately, Mr. Wan shows up to cut them off even more. Now listen, anybody that uses this blacksmith answers to me. Now we get introduced to Mr. Wang, played by the hybrid Venom Chang Sheng. He's new to town and he's looking for a blade to be made, but the only blacksmith in town has been shut down and no one's talking. He looks over to see the three beleaguered chaps getting picked on by some rotten kids, so he heads over and uses some kung fu to get them to disperse. Now without being told what's happened to these guys or how, he decides he's got to act. Don't worry. I shall avenge you. Get rid of this evil man. So Mr. Wang leaves there and heads straight to Tu Tinto's house and fights off four guards to get in and calls out Tu Tinto by name. Now, if you have the English dub version of this film, rewind a bit and tell me exactly where in this movie Mr. Wang learns that Tu Tinto is behind this or where he lives or why he's so evil in the first place. No? Okay, moving on. Tu Tinto, his son, and Mr. Wan come out to meet their visitor and they find out that he's not one of the Tiananmen Tigers who have beef with him, but just some random dude who wants to serve up some justice. Who is this idiot? All right, take it. Fight scene. The random guards rush forward on Mr. Wang, so Wang uses his acrobatics to stave off the attack and push the hapless minions out of the way. So Mr. Wan steps up with his ball and chain. An actual ball and chain, not his disgruntled wife. While Wang breaks out his sword, the pair dance around in an expert display of weapon handling and acrobatics. Chang Sheng pops off cartwheel after cartwheel while trying to avoid the swinging chains which can't be a particularly easy weapon to handle with any true measure of control. When the fight goes on a little too long, Tu Chan cuts in and starts throwing his weighty arms around. Wang seems up to the task for a bit as the pair go toe-to-toe for a while. Lu Fang as Tu Chan displays some of his acrobatics as well and there's a bit of trampoline work when Wang spots an opening and makes a break for it. Unfortunately, Mr. Wan, not fighting fairly, throws out his chain and hooks Wang by the ankles bringing him hard down to the ground. Now, as a captive prisoner, Wang continues to spout off about how he won't be broken and he will be avenged if they choose to kill him. By whom? I doubt he knows just yet. Seated at the table nearby, Tu Tinto just listens while he eats. When Wang asserts that he's no idiot, father and son are determined to prove him wrong, with force if necessary. Two guards strap a headpiece on Wang's noggin and begin to tighten the screws while our three bad guys continue to enjoy their meal. It's like Ramsay enjoying a sausage meal while Reek suffers right in front of him. Castaways, you know what I'm talking about. After a while, we fade out and see the other three handicapables hanging around outside waiting for their Avenger to return. And a moment later, they see him get thrown out of the house, not looking much worse for the wear, though he's grabbing at his head a bit. But when they start asking him about what happened, they learn that all he can do is kind of stumble around and laugh at nothing and everything. <laughs> he's an idiot. You got the wrong man. Can't you recognize his voice, though? <laughs> he went there just to avenge us. And I guess two must have tortured him. <laughs> Who knows what they did to him? Those bastards. So Hu starts searching Wong for some identification and finds a letter to Eagle Mansion from his former teacher. So the group decide to try and bring him there so he can at least be with someone who knows him especially since he doesn't know who he is himself anymore. So the group load up the blind Chen and the legless Hu and they head out. Along the way, Wang the idiot asks to push the cart, but he quickly loses interest and upends it, sending Chen and Hu to the ground. 
As the trip is about uh, an eight-day journey, the group tries to work out how to manage things when the deaf-mute Mr. Wei tries to discipline Wang. But though Wang has lost his mental faculties, he hasn't lost his kung fu, which allows him to leap up over Wei without even getting touched. Right now, that's some small comfort for the guys, so they regroup and get back to the journey. And give some credit here to Lo Mang for working the facial expressions to convey his frustration since he's not allowed to speak anymore because, man, he really works it. After some time, the group finds a roadside tea house where they stop for a meal. While at the table, Wang the idiot starts twirling a teacup on a stick, which entices some local kids to start some trouble. They toss a rock at the blind Chen, which Wang thinks is funny, so he rolls down and starts chucking rocks at the kids, but really hard, which sends them scattering. Legless Hu warns them that that might draw some unwanted attention, so he hustles them to get going again. And as they leave, the crying kids have returned with their fathers and uncles in tow, looking for the one that chucked rocks at their kids. Elsewhere, the guys finally reach the Eagle Mansion where Wang the idiot does have some memory of having been there. He flips up over the high wall and lets the group in to meet his former teacher. And there they relay their sad tales about Tu Tin To, and the teacher, looking on these guys with pity, decides he's going to help them too. I know it isn't easy for an ordinary man to learn Kung Fu. But you three... I am going to teach you. Somehow I'm going to make you experts. Slowly, over the course of some time, the teacher works with each of the students to develop their remaining senses to overcome their losses. First, Legless Hu gets some iron legs Smith form, which he takes some time getting used to. Blind Chan starts working on enhancing his hearing, which Quo Choi signifies by wiggling his ears. It's not a skill many can do. I can actually do that. And when I saw that in the film, I felt kind of special. Though oddly, it never actually enhanced my hearing. It just made my ear muscles tired. Anyway, Blind Chen trains by throwing spikes at leaves as they rustle around him, using only the sound of their fluttering to locate them. Within a few minutes, he's spearing leaves like Tom Hanks spears fish in Castaway. Deafmute Wei gets taught a means of communication that involves drawing characters on his hands, and using that method, the teacher gives him enough instruction to use his eyes to their fullest potential. There's a cool training sequence here where Wei has to punch through the spokes of a wheel of fire to pierce some clay jugs. Now, let me tell you, when I was a kid, I tried to reenact this training sequence myself, but using a bicycle tire. Let me tell you something. The spokes on a bicycle tire, much closer than the spokes on this wheel. Much more painful for me, I guarantee you. Slowly but surely, everyone starts to show some great strides in their Kung Fu training. Blind Chen puts on a display with some iron rings that looks more like a circus act than Kung Fu. He flips through the rings as they fly through the air, then does this incredible display of leaping in and out of the hoops, even as he catches them mid-throw. Even Idiot Wong is impressed. You're not really blind. Huh? You're faking. Deaf Mute Wei shows off next by powering his way through a heavy bag gauntlet, using a mirror to see movement behind him, and then attacks the firewheel, striking like a snake and crushing through the jugs very easily. Blind Chen is now spearing leaves in midair before they hit the ground, and Legless Hu's unleashing destructive windmill kicks with ease. There's a particularly impressive training sequence with Blind Chen and Idiot Wong where they work through some moves with an iron ring between them. They take turns throwing each other around and through the ring, so the whole thing looks like a big magic act. The skill required to move so precisely together must have taken a ton of practice time. But then again, these guys essentially grew up training together, so maybe it came easier. But man, it looks like straight-up magic when they're doing their thing. Again, in trying to replicate some of these stunts with a plastic hula hoop, which, by the way, was a much larger diameter, I more often than not was picking pieces of hula hoop out of my teeth. Okay, should I do my movie voice? Yeah, I did. Hi, this is a beardo and a weirdo talk film, a movie podcast. 
Actually, it's, isn't it a film podcast? Because it's called A Beardo and a Weirdo Talk Film. A Beardo and a Weirdo Talk Film. A film podcast about films. <laughs> F-I-L. F to the I to the L-M-S. Films, yeah. We talk about films, don't we? We talk about old films. Mainly new what, films, though. Matt, Matt, enlighten me. What, what was the film we just reviewed? Um, I believe it was Fantastic Beasts. Ooh. And where to not find them. Ooh. And and what was your rating out of out of the mat 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 out of ten? Uh, that was a reasonably warm seven out of ten. What was yours, Joe? I gave it an eight. An eight. An so eight. You you think it's slightly better um, than me, but a dirty slut who just gives everything away. You just give it away, didn't just you? Just take it, take it, take take the eight, take the eight, take it, take it deep. You know, you, know you want the eight. But yeah, uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud. There's YouTube, but there's no video footage, so you just listen to it and looking at a picture of us. So uh, that's good. Yep, and Eddie Redmayne has autism, and he guns a lot. I can do magic, me. It's all started to fall into place. <laughs> anyway, after three years of hard training, the handy capables start to feel whole again and get to thinking that they just might be ready to get some payback. Tell me, you think we four could maybe handle him now? Well, now, judging from the perseverance you've shown here, yes, you could. Coincidentally, Tu Tinto happens to be celebrating his 45th birthday by inviting several martial artists to his place in kind of a kung fu tryout slash festival. The four decide that they're going to crash that party. In town, Mr. Wan is gathering some party stuff for the celebration when Blind Chen walks into their old tea house, pretending to be a fortune teller and exaggeratedly staggering towards the table. Some of the staff recognize him and warn him that Mr. Wan is also here. Blind Chen takes the opportunity to stumble over to Mr. Wan and offer a reading, which Wan accepts. One of his thugs tries to trick Chen by swiping a seat, but with his improved hearing, Chen kicks back and recovers the seat, then sits down calmly across from the amused Mr. Wan. Wan tries to toy with Chen by intentionally breaking a teacup and offering it to him, but Chen avoids the jagged shards and instead pours himself some tea. One of Wan's goons gets up and steps to Chen, but he's not interested in tussling just yet. He swings his banner and knocks the guy back, then avoids several guards who try to sneak up on him, flipping up over them and landing on the table where he pops down in Lotus right in front of Juan. Juan doesn't recognize Chen at first, so Chen jogs his memory. Hi, you're the one. <laughs> Mr. Juan, that's good. What's more, you really haven't changed a bit because you're still Mr. Two's running dog. <laughs> I'll kill you. Fight scene. Juan and his goons attack, but Blind Chen works his banner pole to quickly clear the floor of the lesser thugs. He sweeps the pole through the air and across the ground and sends all his attackers sprawling. When it's down to him and Mr. Wan, we get a spirited fight that impresses Mr. Wan, but instead of continuing the fight, Wan smirks and calls off his dogs. For now. Back at Tu Tinto's place, Wan observes a martial artist Lo Pao, employing the light scale to walk down a gauntlet of candles. Not between the candles, on the candles without snuffing the flames. Knowing what he knows of Blind Chen, he recruits the spider to do his dirty work. He then goes on to recruit one more guy, Mr. Lin, the ancient Chinese version of Marvel's Bullseye, who can embed ball bearings in the middle of suspended coins using just a slingshot. The next day, back at the inn, Deaf Mute Wei shows up and meets up with Blind Chen. Following close behind is Mr. Wan with his two mercenaries in tow. He clears the inn out and sets up his men strategically around the place. The idea is for the Bullseye character, Mr. Lin, to pick him off when he comes in while everyone else stays as quiet as possible. Hiding behind a column, Deaf Mute Wei is silently observing their machinations. Meanwhile, 
Back at Two Tin Toes, he's receiving an old classmate, Mr. Chu, who's renowned for his incredible strength, and who apparently does not own a shirt. But he does rock that cape, though. Happening by is Blind Chen, who eavesdrops on the two classmates for a bit before heading back to the inn. And as he steps inside, Deaf Mute Wei tries to get his attention by screaming. Because that makes sense, after three years of being a Deaf Mute. But he gets noticed by the light technique mercenary Lo Pao. He silently leaps up onto the landing and engages Wei. And this scene is completely silent until Wei kicks a stool down to block the ball bearing that was headed directly at Blind Chen. Fight scene. Now alerted to the danger, Blind Chen grabs a table and starts twirling it around him to create some space. Wei jumps down to join him and the pair work together to start taking on the small army. Back to back, the pair grab hands occasionally to communicate and then split off to go one-on-one -on -one against Mr. Wan and Mr. Lin, while everyone else stands by in the background observing. Blind Chen has a metal staff as his weapon, while Deaf Mute Wei prefers good old hand-to-hand -hand combat. A few lower-level thugs take a beating, but when Mr. Wan gets thrown back, he abruptly decides to just pick up and leave, physically restraining Lo Pao from getting back into it. Mr. Wan regroups back at Two Tin Toes, where he introduces the mercenaries to each other with the best line in this dub. Oh, Mr. Chu, I'd like to introduce you. This is Mr. Lin, famous for his ball shot technique. If I'm ever famous for anything, I hope it's for my ball shot technique. Anyway, Mr. Lin and Mr. Chu get off on the wrong foot immediately because Chu looks down on anyone who needs to rely on weaponry. To prove his point, he has Mr. Wan come at him with the ball and chain. Wan wraps him up in the links, but Chu simply flexes and snaps the chain like it's made of paper. Meanwhile, that evening, while Idiot Wang is playing in the streets with some kids, Lo Pao has made his way back to the old blacksmith shop to find Deaf Mute Wei reminiscing about his days there. While Wei's back is to him, Lo Pao creeps up for an attack. So just so you understand what's happening here, a guy with light technique, whose footfalls are completely silent, is sneaking up on a guy who is completely deaf and who wouldn't hear it if an elephant stopped up behind him. Right. Anyway, Deaf Mute Wei lifts up his mammoth-sized mirror medallion and catches sight of Lo Pao advancing on him, and then turns fast to face him head on. Fight scene. Now for the first few seconds, this fight has no sound at all before we slide into a traditional kung fu fight. Now for a deaf mute and a light technique master, this is a pretty noisy squabble. Lo Pao gets his hands on a staff and puts on his press, but Wei moves him into his shop where he has the decided advantage. He moves the fight by his regular workstation and gets his hands on an unfinished sword blade. The two trade off a bit before Wei drops into a roll and pops up with blade drawn and runs Lo Pao through. Now before Lo Pao drops dead, he motions towards Wei like he's going to say something, and I thought to myself, why? Apparently, Lo Pao realized it too and just dropped dead quietly. Mr. Wan arrives on the scene after Wei leaves, and obviously this throws a wrench into his plans. But wait, what are his plans again? My whole idea was to try and settle this nice and quietly. I just wanted to make sure that nothing could spoil a birthday. So basically, Mr. Wan's a glorified party planner. And now his plan is to actually finally finish off Blind Chen and Deaf Mute Wei before party time. So he heads back to find Mr. Chu and prepare for their attack. Meanwhile, one of Mr. Wan's soldiers hangs back to try and ambush Wei on his own. As Wei walks by, the soldier jumps out to try and grab his mirror medallion, but Wei's too quick and too strong. Instead, Wei heads into the inn to rendezvous with Blind Chen. As he tries to communicate what just went down, from the shadows, Mr. Lin emerges and readies his famous ball shot technique. As he draws, Wei lifts up his arm and catches a glimpse of him in his golden armband, then quickly throws a bench at him to throw off his shot. 
And at that moment, Mr. Wan arrives back on the scene, but now he's got his whole army of goons behind him. Wei attacks Wan immediately while Blind Chen steps in against several soldiers armed with big shields. As Blind Chen approaches, the soldiers start to bang on their shields like cymbals, creating a rattling, clanging cacophony of sound which disorients Blind Chen. With nothing to key in on, Chen resorts to just lashing out to protect himself. He spins his staff like a propeller around him to keep everyone back, then drops to the floor where he rolls and spins to limit any attacks from behind. The only sound in this scene is the clanging of those shields, and it's incredibly disorienting even for those of us without superpowered hearing. Wei, locked in battle with Mr. Wan, notices the trouble his friend is having and fights Wan off enough to jump over and disrupt the soldiers. With their advantage gone, Chen gets right into it, and again the pair take on Wan, Lin, and a host of minions. Several soldiers move in and keep the pair busy while Wan and Lin work up a new plan. First, Wan tells Lin to douse the lights, which Lin does by deftly shooting out lit candle wicks with his ball bearings. Not shooting Wei or Chen through the eye sockets or anything sensible like that. I mean, why would you? Mr. Chu arrives and straight up dismisses Mr. Wan and his stupid plan. Oh? Well, trying to get him in the dark isn't too smart. The deaf one can't see them. But then neither can you. Hmm. And for sure, as far as the blind one goes, he'd love that. That way, he's in his element. You get out. Don't need you. You're just a hindrance. I'm the only one here who can get them. You just make sure they don't escape. So, of course, Mr. Wan does what he does best and just walks away. Meanwhile, Chu, in his egomaniacal glory, actually takes a little bit of pity on Wei and Chen. So to give them a bit of a fighting chance, he offers that they each get three hits as he just stands there. If they knock him down, he'll get Tu Tinto to back off for good. If not, he gets his three hits on each of them. The pair agree, so Wei steps up first and unloads a few punches. He even does a cartoon wind-up with one of them. When the punches do no good, he throws a few kicks, but Chu just stands there and takes it all with a grin on his face. A stunned Wei tags out for Chen, who tries his best, even a slow-motion double flying kick, but to no avail. Now it's my turn. Which one of you is first? Now before either can speak up, Legless Who steps into the tea house and, as part of the team, I guess, wants to get his three shots in. Chu agrees, but idiot Wang rolls in literally and discloses Legless Who's heretofore hidden secret about his iron feet. Chen thinks quickly and tries to do some quick repair. Right. Just now he tried Wei's iron fists, so he can try whose iron kicks. Iron feet. These fancy names. I know most times don't mean a thing. Come on. Oh, they mean a thing. So who comes at him first with some ineffective punches? Chu taunts him and suggests that he uses iron kicks instead. So who throws his leg up and lands a kick right into Chu's gut, but... The weight of the iron drives his kick right into his flesh, releasing a fountain of blood as Chu staggers back with the sudden realization that Wang was telling the truth and he made a big mistake. Chu staggers at the group, but they work together to trap him and drive a shattered table into his midsection, killing him in a standing position. Now, inexplicably, Mr. Wan and his soldiers return to the scene where Wei and Chen have for some reason hung around. Chen explains that Chu died because he got mixed up with Tu Tinto and Wan, but they would allow them to collect the body out of respect. And so, once again, Wan does what he does best and just walks away. This time, though, 
He's got to deliver the dead body of Chu to his friend Tu Tinto, and he's not really happy about that. You worked for me for a great number of years, but you never screwed up like this. Tu Tinto, like any good leader, decides that if you want something done right, you got to go do it yourself. Birthday or no birthday. So back at the end, Wei spots Tu Tinto and army on their way there and alerts the others. Blind Chen wants Legless Hu and Idiot Wong to hide so they can remain secret weapons, but Idiot Wong isn't interested in hiding. Instead, he hangs around eating leaves while Tu Tinto and his goons show up looking for Chen and Wei. When they try to get him to cough up his friends, Idiot Wong playfully mocks them all like this is some kind of big game. A few soldiers try to grab him up, but Wong's kung fu game is still way strong. Strong enough for Tu Chan to have to step in. And when he faces down Wong, Wong is more interested in his strange hands. Tu Chan is more than happy to demonstrate them by throwing a hard punch at Wong's chest. And as he staggers back, Chen and Wei drop down from their hiding spot and confront Tu Tinto with an interesting challenge. Chen explains that Idiot Wong's teacher has now taught all of them as well, and they all want to challenge Tu Tinto to see just how good he is and to exact some measure of revenge for what he did to them. Tu Tinto comes hard with his tiger strikes, which Wei and Chen have trouble moving against. In fact, he lands several blows early and often forcing blind Chen into a tough spot on a table. Instead of fighting back though, Chen crashes through the window and makes a break for it. Wei follows suit and Idiot Wong flips his way over to join them but gets held up by Tu Chen. They throw a few shots at one another with Wong again taking it less than seriously before he too leaps through the window to catch up with his friends. Now remember, Tu Tinto came here specifically to squash these bugs because his right hand man couldn't do it himself. But now with his targets on the run, does Tu Tinto go after them to finish the job? Let them go. My friends are arriving now. I must be there to meet them. I figure those fellas will be back again. Of course they're going to be back again. That's why you came here. Just how important is this birthday anyway? So I guess they decide that they're going to have some cake and ice cream first, then come back and commit multiple murders. Meanwhile, our heroes have gathered back at the shop where we learn the motivation behind Tu Tinto's party. Tu wants to be the leader of the clans. That's what the party's for. To impress all of his friends. So he's not in the least interested in having a fight with a bunch of cripples now. He'd be through. He'd lose his reputation. So don't worry. He won't come today. So knowing that they've got some time before the dogs are set loose, they decide that they have to attack first. Back at Tu Tinto's place, the birthday party is in full swing with dozens of guests reveling. Mr. Wan stands guard with Mr. Lin and keeps an eye out for any troublemakers. And right on cue, a local lookout rushes in and warns them of the impending arrival of the Avengers. But this time, Mr. Wan is not unprepared. In the courtyard before the main hall, he's set up a few contraptions to help give him an advantage. Chen and Wei are the first to arrive, but as they rush forward, a soldier starts to pull on a set of mirrors, which reflects light right into Wei's eyes, making it hard to see. When Wei tags out to Chen, Chen moves up, but lining the courtyard are drummers, and they start hammering on these massive drums, which overloads Chen's hearing. Mr. Wan and the soldiers start advancing, but Idiot Wang rolls in and starts toppling drums one by one. While the drums come down, Wei and Chen go at it with Wang and Lin. Wei, unaffected by the drums, alternates between battling with Mr. Wan and punching holes in the drums, and some of the drummers too. Chen, meanwhile, starts shattering mirrors. All the while, Idiot Wang is having his own kind of party as he dances around several soldiers, trying to run him through with spears. He flips his way across several drums, taking out guards along the way and leaving the drums useless. The trio then begin making their way through the soldiers and then face off against Wan and Lin. Wan, who has his ball and chain back, squares off against Wei while Lin takes on Chen. Idiot Wan kind of hangs back and spends most of his time giving commentary on the fights he's watching. 
Chen and Lin trade steel for a bit, but for all the accuracy that Lin has with his ball shot technique, in close quarters, he's pretty useless. Chen works his steel staff against Lin's daggers, but when Lin tries to take the fight to the ground, Chen plants the staff right in and through his gut, then flips over him. Meanwhile, Wei is avoiding the ball and chain as best he can, and the fight actually devolves into a grappling match when Wei catches the chain and pulls Mr. Wan in close. Without any distance between them, Mr. Wan doesn't stand a chance, and Wei wraps the chain around Wan's neck and quickly strangles the life out of him. With those two out of the way, the three move into the main hall, but idiot Chen gets distracted by the rings left over from the broken mirror frames. Wei and Chen have a quick conference about who's going to fight who before cutting through a pitiful bunch of guards. Tu Tin To and Tu Chan step out, and if ever there were a final 10 minutes that define a kung fu film better than these, I have yet to see it. Final fight. Tu Chan and his iron hands takes on Blind Chen and they immediately go at it. Wei heads inside to stare down Tu Tin To and the tiger style explodes, setting up a pair of fights that are just the beginning of an epic ending. As Wei moves around the room to evade the tiger fists, we see flashbacks of his training with the old master. Chen, meanwhile, is going at it with Tu Chan in a thrilling showcase of leaping acrobatics and stick work. This fight is one of the most tightly choreographed ones in the Venom Mob films, and it's worth watching over and over. Tu Chan's iron hands ring loud against Chen's steel pole, obviously serving to help Chen locate his opponent, but Chen also uses it to keep some distance between them. That is until he lets Tu Chan take it from him, only to flip backwards over him and then grab the ends to pin Tu Chan's hands to his chest. However, Tu Chan's iron proves to be stronger as he bends the pole enough to chop through it. Now while all this is going on, Idiot Wong has been outside the gates playing with the hoops. He finally gets bored and decides to bring the hoops with him and go find Chen so that they can play together. He's followed inside by Legless Hu, who has finally caught up with everyone else, but who knows where he was. Wong walks in on his friends locked in battle and then heads Chen's way where he starts to toss the hoops at Tu Chan like it's a game. Tu knocks it away, but Wong keeps offering him hoops in what becomes a very, very cool and unique fight sequence. Annoyed by Wong's interference, Tu Chan starts throwing his hands at Wong, but Wong starts improvising with the rings and using them as both offensive and defensive tools. Chen gets back into the fight, and both he and Wong work the rings as leverage to help them leapfrog over each other or build momentum to throw the other into the fight. And keep an eye on these guys, because at any moment, one of them is likely leaping through the rings sometimes to evade an attack, and other times for no reason at all. So sure, it's part circus act now, but you have to admire the control these guys have over their bodies to be able to accomplish some of these tricks. In the middle of one exchange, Wong essentially threads Chen through a hoop so he can roll past Tu Chan's barrage. There's simultaneous cartwheels and long stretches of just flips and leaps until Wong starts to get bored again. He grabs one of the rings and gets it around Tu Chan's neck, then starts pulling on it like Tu Chan's a dog. So Tu Chan raises his fists and finally employs those dart shooters. The first few darts land in Wong's chest, but he's so detached from reality now that though he feels the darts sink, he's more bemused by the sight of his own blood. Chen re-engages now and both he and Wong put on a coordinated press, even though Wong is essentially bleeding out. Still giddily laughing at the whole event, Wong again encircles Tu Chan with a hoop and pulls him closer. Tu Chan pulls out his last trick and shoots his iron hands out, burying them in Wong's midsection. Distracted and disarmed for the moment, see what I did there? Chen rushes up behind Tu Chan and slips another hoop on his head, creating an iron noose, which he pulls back on, snapping Chu Chan's neck. But not before he did some real damage. <laughs> his iron hand hurt me real badly. <laughs> As Wang dies in his arms, Chen listens for the other fight going on and jumps in to help Wei against the tiger strikes of Tu Tin To. 
This fight is just porosity and power, with the guys moving all over the room, breaking tables and destroying walls. The camera moves from eye level to overhead to worm's eye, and it really lends to the overall dynamism of the scene. Of course, the action's all taking place between Tu Tin To, Wei, and Chen. Wei and Chen often have to stop and find each other to grasp hands so they can communicate a strategy. In this case, the strategy was the arrival of the secret weapon, the Iron Legs of Hu. Who, I might add, was hanging around for quite a while outside before deciding he should come in and help out. The three heroes start to slowly piece together an attack plan, though Tu Tinto is doing everything he can to keep them all at bay. Eventually, Chen leaps up into the air, and you really need to see this. He does a backflip in the air, pauses slightly, then does a second backflip before reaching up to the rafters where he hangs upside down like a bat. Wei maneuvers Tu Tinto under him where Chen grabs his hands. Wei exploits the opening and pushes in to grab his legs, fully immobilizing him and leaving him wide open for Iron Legs Hu to step in and plant a fatal boot right into Tu Tinto's chest. The three heroes walk off into the sunset, and this marks a rare survival moment for Lo Meng, who usually finds his character dead long before the Chang Che film ends. I personally love this film for the fun the actors seem to have with their roles. I think the final fight scene's up in my top 20 somewhere because it's so inventive and elegant while still being raw and brutal. Because this is one of the more popular kung fu films, it's available on many streaming services, so find it and enjoy it back-to-back with the five deadly venoms, and you might see why I enjoy that group of actors so much. Alright, that's a wrap for this episode, gang. Hit me up on all the social media, and while you're there, show some love to my Castaways family on Twitter by looking up the hashtag Castaways and checking out some of the other cool shows there. Until next time, Poison Clan. Peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. On the hands running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless Aida roaming over the lands Yeah, the little bitch soldier is old Otherwise, he wants a world of peace Because he doesn't want to fight Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks Guaranteed to raise jars Fight for the cars Then pause, hear the applause Not again, back kicks Will defeat the outlaws Very good, but boards don't hit back Yeah, the death jewel's here Derrick is coming back The Tai Chi master Jelly's even faster The channel little drink because he is the drunken master once upon a time in china rosamund kwan is real fine but see maggie show his spine golden swallow has arrived shang chi movies will the hero will survive we've got the brave archer make his way to the top of the mountain gonna fight may as well pick the spot yeah the sky goes black cause the vampire's back we've got lam ching ying to kill them all to so stand back he plays the black magic on the soul of the sword and our sword will travel until his body's on floors yeah wing chun shaol in a mantis style yeah defeat the enemy me and watch you run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting ha. 
this time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claw See it's a game of death yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slash and blood just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance but won't stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor and the blood It'll splatter against the walls, no fear at all To kill them all, there's always blood spilled When you head into a war, fearless Unleash the fist of legend that they call Jet Lee. I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast. You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets. And it's simple, see the facts are these. It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee. Welcome to the tea house, many of some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's war. To smash the place so with a dragon claws. We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action. <laughs> This has been a production of the Castaways Network. For other great shows, visit us on Twitter under the hashtag Castaways, or check out our home on the web at uselessdebate.com slash castaways. And remember, blame Phil. Now this is the tale of our castaways. They're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things. It's an up.